right, on our next session. I hope you enjoyed your lunch. Uh, I'd just like to remind you that the upcoming sessions are all listed on SACPA's website, which is www.sacpa.ca. Uh, and all of the sessions can be heard on radio, on audio as a podcast um, from that website. Um, there is also a, an option to make suggestions if you have any ideas and comments. Um, just to let you know, we're, we are working into our question and answer section. Uh, we have uh, just an, enough time for people to make short topical comments, um, but we will only allow like one, perhaps two questions. And uh, just a reminder, I'm not Canadian, so I may not be quite so polite about cutting you off a little bit if we have some rambling questions, okay? Um, we'll also uh, just let, for, we'll have people come up to the podium here to ask the questions. Uh, once you've asked your question, if you can return to the floor, and we won't be allowing any questions from the floor. Uh, so if we can just refrain from doing that. But if anybody would uh, like to start off the questions, um, we'll be going through until about 1.30. Oh, and I forgot one thing. I'll just let you know that next week's session uh, will be called, and you've probably seen the flyers on your tables, uh, but it's around, is community support for children essential? Which I think and hope that everybody would say that it is. But we'll see. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Bev, if you'd like to come up. Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Uh, thanks very much for coming today, Bev. And do you live in Lapis now, by the way? Uh, Sometimes, yes. Okay. <laughs> my office is in Pincher Creek. So you didn't have to battle the, the wind. Not today, I did. But drifting no. today. Okay, Not today. thanks. Uh, I, my question relates to um, in order to get companies to develop renewable energy in in our region, which is uh, one of the prime locations in all of Canada, of course. Uh, do you actively s go out there and search out people that might want to come here, or are they already, it's already on their radar, and uh, what do you do to help them to uh, locate here in this region? as far as developing solar and wind? Okay, um, I, I'll refer back to our Southern Alberta Alternative Energy Partnership, which is an organization of three economic development organizations, uh, South Grove Regional Initiative, Alberta Southwest Regional Economic Development, and Economic Development Lethbridge. And when we started that partnership, it was with the idea of understanding what the opportunities could and should be. Now, some industries, um, the wind industry, as we mentioned, was established here and, and has grown here. Solar is a, a little bit newer, but as economic development organizations, we put our resources together 
so that we can have representation at the wind energy conferences, at the solar industry conferences, where we can be making connections with industry and making sure that they know Southwest Alberta has resources and is, um, is ready to help companies come into the region. This has worked pretty successfully because we do have a number of new projects that are on the move. So I think the, the big developments and the big companies are, are certainly, they know their business and they know where they're doing. Where the opportunities lie are looking at the smaller scale renewables, the whole thing on distributed energy. We were just uh, talking at lunch about the town of Raymond, for example, that has installed extensive solar um, technology in the town with the idea that that will generate enough power to power the community and certainly create savings on their, um, on their electrical bills. So it isn't just the big projects anymore. There are a whole bunch of opportunity in small, smaller distributed energy, smaller energy, re energy generation on farms and ranches. There's still technology to be developed in that as storage technology <coughs> is, becomes better. Um, for example, when the wind is blowing, your turbine turns. Uh, when it's not blowing, it doesn't. When the sun isn't shining, your solar panel isn't generating. But if you had some way of storing the energy when it was being produced so that you could use it when you needed it, that there are a whole bunch of um, opportunities in there. So I guess the bottom line answer to your question, Newt, is yes, as economic development organizations, we are always looking for ways to promote opportunities in the regions. My name is Graham Greenlee. The electricity at the um, charging stations for recharging uh, electric vehicles, is that produced by, or what percentage is produced by wind, what percentage is produced by solar, and what percentage is produced by uh, burning coal? Yeah, that, that's a good question. We, um, the Peaks to Prairies network, we can say is powered entirely by renewable energy because of the energy credit system. So ATCO is the owner, operator, installer of that system. Um, when we were putting the network together, we put out for bids to companies saying, you know, we got, we're, we've got 20 locations, we want you to come in and install this kind of equipment, what's your best deal? And ATCO was the one who, who came up with that. I think the, the statistics are in Alberta that 50% of our energy is from, from coal, 39% from natural gas, and about 11% from wind. So there, through all the energy credit trading, we can say that our system is powered by renewables. Okay. Hi, Leona Jacobs. Um, thanks for your talk, and it's good to see all this happening out there. 
My question has to do with a presentation we had here a while back, which talked about the landowners and their um, concerns, I guess, will be the best way to put it, concerns about the, the uh, visual uh, pollution of windmills and stuff out there. So how do you square what's going on with your economic development with the concerns of the locals with respect to that, but also when you were talking about the geotourism, the whole issue and the, and the controversy in the Crown area, or the Castle Crown area, about um, automated recreation. So how do you square all that with your, with your well, population in that corner? Of the yeah, years? and I, I think that's where the province of Alberta over the years has done some really remarkable things. For example, we have <coughs> the land use framework and the South Saskatchewan Regional Plan was one of, the, one of the first ones that got really scrutinized in that area. So we're looking at all of our land use, where the sensitive areas are, where there's less impact, and how we can move people around in our recreation areas to not impact negatively as much as we can. Um, the, the thing about transmission lines and turbines, uh, it's, it's a subjective thing. Um, sometimes when I'm looking west and I see turbines in the way of the mountain that I want to look at, I think, oh, that's not so beautiful. When I'm looking the other way, when there's a beautiful prairie landscape and you have a majestic turbine in the middle of it, I think, wow, that's quite beautiful. So some days I think they're beautiful and sometimes I think not. Um, there's an example where the MD of Pincher Creek, and I have to give them some credit for actually tackling the whole issue of viewscapes, saying we do have renewables in our region, but we also have our magnificent landscapes, so let's not, let's develop our land so that we're not putting those things in the way of where they shouldn't be. And then talking about, I, I guess I'm old enough that I lived through the 80s and 90s and all of the discussions about development back in our sensitive areas. And I'm really encouraged that the conversation is now, we are all seeing common goals in a way. I think the people who are looking to do business on the landscape have come to understand that that livelihood depends on that landscape retaining its integrity. And the people who protect the landscape have kind of come to the realization that, you know, people live here too, and people need to be just as healthy as the three-toed salamanders. And we all need to figure out how to get, how to do all this together. And in fairness, we've all learned a lot of things over the last 30 years. We're, we're not as unaware as we used to be. And so that's all encouraging. So I think the very bottom line is the importance of having the conversations and keeping the connections and being open to new ideas and, and innovation. I don't know if that exactly answered what you had in mind there, but I, I guess I'm encouraged. Hi Bev, Maria Fitzpatrick speaking. And uh, thank you very much for a great presentation. And uh, my question is along the lines of what you were just talking about, because what I learned uh, over the four years that I was uh, representing the city is that generally people in the city 
don't know what's going on. Do you have a strategy uh, to, I guess, uh, share the information that uh, you have and all the good things that are happening uh, on a more general basis with the public? Because um, I know about it and people who are in this room who want to be in the know about things know about it. But generally, if I'm talking to my neighbors, they don't know about it. So is there a strategy uh, to uh, provide a more general platform to inform uh, our citizens about what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. And as, as nonprofit organizations, we have pretty limited resources. So we don't have a lot of um, media money or things to do. And the other thing is I, communication is becoming a lot more targeted. Um, I have friends who are avid quilters. But if a, if a quilting newsletter happens to come into my email, I probably delete it because I'm not a quilter. I don't know what to do with the information. So I set it aside. So a lot of times I think information is when we are ready to receive it. And I think it's a case of one-to-one -one conversations, uh, talking to our communities, to our chambers, and doing what we can to raise the awareness. And if you have some magic ideas on how to tell the whole world what we're doing and make them excited and enthusiastic about it, that would be great. But people are interested in different things at different times, and we just have to keep talking about it and hopefully hit people's readiness level when they're ready to hear it. So, nope, that's a, I don't have a magic answer, but I guess all of you can go and tell your friends and say, turn on the TV and look at some really cool things that are happening in Southwest Alberta. Hi, I'm Ken Sears. Um, you've been talking a lot, and I'm glad to see some of this about innovation, technological innovation, expansion of I guess what would be existing economic drivers like tourism. But what concerns me is in none of this am I really hearing any talk about the small towns, the small communities, not just in southern and western Alberta, but really across the prairies, And because I can speak a bit to that. Because what we're seeing is a decay of infrastructure in these small towns. The, the highways are good, but they're losing trucking service, trucking businesses. Banks are pulling out right across Western Canada. Post offices are closing. I think there's about seven or eight just in this corner of the province in the last 10 years. If there's no people, there's no little towns here, it doesn't matter how good your economic situation is because the money's going someplace else. There's nobody here, there's no community. What attention is being paid to that? Um, our regional alliance is made up of 16 rural communities, um, right, right down to the village of 300 people, and uh, our largest municipality is Crowsnest Pass, which is the amalgamation of five smaller communities. So we exactly have that conversation. The counties are saying that the family farm is disappearing, it's in jeopardy, what are we going to do? Uh, what if the school closes in our little town? 
then, and we're busing the people to somewhere, the children to somewhere else, what are we going to do? It, it absolutely is a concern. And all we can do as municipal leaders and community people is to try and lift our gaze to see what the opportunities could be. I, I, I will tell one little story about Glenwood, village of Glenwood, where we talk about the cheese factory that's been there for 80 years or however long. And the owners and operators corporately announced that they were going to be closing that facility. Well, that represents jobs and about 80% of the tax revenue to that village. So we, the Glenwood Council talked to us. We brought in provincial government resources and put our heads together and said, what are we going to do? This is kind of serious. And I think we thought, well, we have no power to run the decision making of a corporation, but we can certainly offer to work with them and make the best of what we can here. So we put together a little contingent that made an appointment to go and meet with Saputo in Montreal. This little village, they spent their own money and took provincial government people along with them, uh, went out, met with them and said, here's, here's what your business means to our little community. Uh, we understand you have to make your corporate decisions, but can we work together to help you sell the building, help us get something in there and keep a business in our community. I am not sure what happened after that, but within weeks they announced they would not close that facility after all. So I don't know what the lessons from that are. I think firstly, be positive and try and look for the opportunities in a problem. And I think secondly, there is nothing that beats making the personal relationships. And I don't think there's any shortcut to that happening. I think we all just have to be working toward that. And the more we get people on the same page, who with all the same message, it's going to make it more impactful. It doesn't make the problems go away, but it makes us feel like maybe we have something we can do to um, come up with some new approaches. I'm Douglas Mitchell. The elephant in the room is climate change. And what you're doing is working towards doing that in the economic sense. My worry, I'm a member of a small uh, environmental group who have had their ups and downs and helped create uh, environmental Lesbridge. But we have been, over the years since then, uh, very disappointed with the response that our municipality has had in addressing the whole climate change issue. I'm talking about the city of Lethbridge. And I wonder, uh, in terms of your relationship with uh, uh, in, uh, the city council, uh, do you have uh, discussions with them what, how, what is their response? They, they have uh, largely 
given up on, on a lot of the things that we should be addressing. And you've addressed some of them, particularly the electric car business, and I'm glad to hear some of the stuff you have learned something today. But I would just like to know about your relationships with uh, the municipality in terms of what they're doing and what you know of what they're doing and how do you feel about that? Yeah, thanks. Um, d just to be clear, the communities I work with are west of Lethbridge, so the South Grow Regional Initiative includes Lethbridge and all the other areas. But that said, we, we all do things together. Um, the, the governing boards of our regional alliances are elected officials from, from our member communities. So we do have a, a direct uh, pipeline into that. This whole thing about climate change, is it real, is it not real? I don't know if that's really the question, whether you believe or not. I think you look at um, the uh, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. I mean, their statistics measuring parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere has increased 40% over the last 60 years. So there is a trend there. Whatever is causing it, it's happening because it's being measured. And we can argue about whether people cause it or don't cause it or whether it's just the natural turning of the earth or whatever it is, but you cannot deny that the measures are there. So adaptability is important for our communities and our, and our businesses. And I think, I, I think our municipal councils are understanding that because we care about something once it impacts on something that's important to us. When it is raining more often than it should and it messes up our cousin's wedding, huh, there must be something going on here. When we go on an Alaskan cruise and we don't get to see an ice flow because it has already melted and is nearly gone. When you go to Glacier National Park and there are not many glaciers there anymore, you start to think, you know what, this is, this is impacting on my life and there's something to this. So when you look at the whole worldwide thing, I think the last figures that we saw was that um, Canada generates about 1.6% of global pollution. But we do that with 0.5% of the world's population. So our carbon footprint per person in Canada is maybe a little larger than it should be. But whatever we do in Canada, it's not going to solve the world's problems. So then you get feeling pretty small and a little discouraged and thinking, well, why does it matter if I do anything at all? But I think it does, because if everybody said, ah, I don't think I'll bother doing anything at all, then we'd have some crises to deal with. So I think what we have to do is lead by example, do our bit, and, and I, I do believe that our 
communities, although our municipal councils and provincial governments and even federal governments don't do things as fast as we think they should or we disagree with, with what they're doing and we think, ah, don't they even know what they're doing? I think on the whole, they do. I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm optimistic because I hear those conversations around our community leaders. So I think we all just have to look at what's important to us and whatever we can do in some small way, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to help. But I think there are some big things coming and we have to think, okay, if and when the climate changes, what's going to happen? How is that going to change agriculture? How is it going to change recreation? How is it going to change the way we make our living? And I think that's where then it becomes important. Um, Ian Hurdle. Uh, we have heard uh, quite a few organizations recently that have talked about they're unsure of your government funding. So what about your organization where the, you say nonprofit, who helps fund you? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yes, the, the context there is our, our regional economic development alliances have been aligned with the um, Economic Development Ministry of the province since 1998, I think was the first pilot project of ARETA. And we have, we had, we are just now coming to the end of a five-year agreement with the province where they, our members all put in money, the province adds some resources, and that then allows us to leverage those resources to find um, grants and partners and, and do some other projects. So I think what you're referring to is our agreement with the province is ends on March 31st, and we are really not sure what will happen after that, if there will be renewed agreements uh, or whatever. I know our, uh, our folks are advocating for it to carry on. Our particular board out in Alberta Southwest, they see the value of the collaboration between the communities. We, those little communities, we're doing things together that we can't do by ourselves. So I think whatever happens, there will be, there is some will to carry on in some form and preserve the things that are really important to those communities to keep accomplishing. So we'll remain optimistic. Um, I'm one of those lucky people that get to live right next to the Castle Provincial Park. And I wonder from your point of view of your organization, is the founding of the park been beneficial for your area and region as opposed to when it was sort of provincial forest land? Um, from our point of view, it has because we're, we're now able to tackle the... Um, the issues of random camping, of doing things in, doing things on lands that are more sensitive than other ants. So it looks like it's a, a more organized kind of land use within the park. We have a lot of, we have a number of little businesses that have grown up because of the potential of more visitation to the park. People that provide outdoor recreation experiences. 
that whole business of outdoor recreation is a huge industry that most of us don't really see or realize. The other thing is it's given rise to Pincher Creek, the MD of Pincher Creek and Crow's Nest Pass, looking at creating a destination management association. They realize that with this new attraction, there are all kinds of um, issues to deal with, but also, also, also opportunities. So they've completed a feasibility study of creating a, a community management organization to, uh, to help deal with those upcoming things. But yes, I, I believe it's an opportunity for sure. Alrighty, we have time for just one last quick question, if that's okay. Thanks, Okay, Jim. thank you. Jim Byrne, thanks very much for your presentation, Bev, and for everything that you do. We really appreciate it. Um, the, um, if, if I was Chris Spearman, uh, and I'm not, obviously, uh, but I do get to drink wine and beer with Chris occasionally, you know, so I think I can, I can uh, mention his name. If I was Chris and other political leaders in southern Alberta, I would be going to Edmonton and saying the kind of things you do with agriculture and food and energy, because food really is energy. Uh, those are the critical things in southern Alberta. And it's really nice that maybe the, our current provincial government wants to pay attention to you know, oil and gas. But for us, that's, we just have a smattering of oil and gas down here. We are renewable energy and food. So who do you think should carry? I, and I'm not, certainly not saying, I don't think it's your role, right? You're a wonderful leader in your role. But you know, what do we do? Is it our political leaders, our local mayors and, and older people and things like that? Who should take this message to Edmonton and get them to really understand that what's really important down here isn't what they're focused on? Or at least I would suggest that. And, and, uh, and, and I'll add one more comment. If they would focus on, you've met, you mentioned already, $1.5 billion worth of renewable investment, could be many billions, it could really cover off a lot of the negativity that northern Alberta has in terms of their greenhouse gas footprint. So how do we make them, how do we wake them up? Well, I don't know, but I, what you just said there is something that we've been saying for actually a couple of decades now, that renewables are part of the energy story. And to have that balance, I, and I, I think you're right, that message did not get out. All of the years that Alberta's been taking a kicking for its oil and gas, there were also a lot of things happening in renewables, but no one was telling that story. And I'm never sure, back to, back to Maria's question also, how do we get people knowing what they should know? No, um, you'd like to go out and hit them over the head with the two by four and say, pay attention, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And I do feel that, and thank you for the, the comment on the value of the regional alliances because I think that is huge. We have our municipal leaders all talking to each other. Our, um, they're advocating for us with Edmonton. A lot of that happens in places that are not in a public forum. So I guess we're just really hopeful that we're going to be able to carry on. That said, I think our communities have demonstrated enough success that it's not something they want to let go of easily. So I, I think we'll figure out a way forward. So stay tuned. Great. Okay, thanks so much, Bev, for answering okay. those questions. And thank you to everybody that had questions.